Well, good morning. Good to see everybody here. And we always talk about the holiday hangover. Sometimes you don't have a real good attendance on after a holiday, but you guys are here. It's good to see you. Thanks for coming. Go ahead and turn to John chapter 21. It's page 1086. Uh, if you're using the Bible there in the seat. And last week we were uh, looking at this question, answering this question is, what does it mean now that the tomb is empty? So we've had a resurrection, we talked about that last week, and, and now we have the tomb being empty. And John mentioned last week uh, two things as we were kind of breaking that passage down. That what it means for those who are non-believers, those who have not placed their faith in Jesus Christ, and one of the reasons why John wrote his gospel, is that they would believe. So if you're here this morning and you have not placed your faith in Jesus Christ... The reason why John wrote these things, but more important, the reason why Jesus did what he did, go to the cross, die on the cross, rise again, was in order to secure your eternal life. And so your response should be, and our prayer is it would be, that you would believe that Jesus Christ is who he says he is, God and, and Savior and Lord, and then that you would believe and receive eternal life. For believers, our reminder last week was that we need to get on mission uh, with getting the gospel to people. That's why we're here. That's why he leaves us on this earth, is for us to represent Christ and to bring the gospel, the fact that God wants a relationship with people, that he wants to forgive people of their sin, he wants to adopt them into his family, and he wants them to spend eternity with him in heaven. Well, today we want to continue on answering that question. John has one more chapter. We're going to split it up into two weeks. And so we want to answer the question of what, is, what does the resurrection mean to us today? Uh, because he has risen. And, and so this event that takes place, again, we're going to look at it for two, in two weeks, but, or for two weeks, but it's actually all happening. Uh, the disciples are in Galilee. Uh, that's where Jesus started his ministry. If you remember John chapter 1, he was in Galilee, kind of got things kicked off there. All the disciples, I learned this uh, fact in men's Bible study, I didn't know this, and Greg gave us this information, and that is that all the disciples, except for Judas Iscariot, were from Galilee. Pretty interesting, you know. Um, the, the only guy who turned his back on Jesus was from Jerusalem part of the Jews, you know, the, those who lived in Jerusalem. Kind of an interesting little fact. But anyways, so they're up there, they're in Galilee, and this is how the, the passage begins. So after these things, so after the things with the, Jesus appearing in a locked room in John 20, Jesus manifested himself, and that word means that he, he became visible. Now, we don't know if he did the, you know, the poof, I'm here, kind of like he did in John 20, or if he just kind of walked and, you know, sauntered along on the beach. Uh, not really sure, but he shows up to the disciples of the Sea of Tiberias, which means the Sea of Galilee, and he manifested himself in this way. So it was a specific way that he chose uh, to show up. So Simon Peter, Thomas called Didymus, who's the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, which James and John, and two others, we don't know who they were, but two others of his disciples were together. So we got seven of the 11 disciples are all hanging out at the lake, all right, at the Sea of Galilee. Now, it's important that we understand a couple things from this before we continue on. Then the first one is this. The disciples are finally in Galilee 
where Jesus commanded them to go. Why do I say finally there? Well, pre-crucifixion, so before he goes to the cross, Jesus is telling them what's going to happen. I'm going to die on the cross. I'm going to rise again. And he says, when I, after I rise again, I will meet you. I will go ahead of you, actually. He says, I'll go ahead of you to Galilee. Now, we know that the disciples weren't quite understanding everything, and they finally understood things in Luke 24 and in John 20. But at the time, they weren't quite getting what he said. But he said, I will go ahead of you to Galilee. Post-resurrection, Jesus tells the ladies, go back and tell to the disciples, leave for Galilee. John 20, where did we find the disciples? Locked in a room in Jerusalem. They didn't leave for Galilee. They were locked in a room, scared, thought they were going to be arrested, so Jesus had to go find them, which we read about last week. He finally goes and he tells them what's going on. And again, Luke 24 tells us he opened their minds to understand what was going on. So, after Jesus shows up, evidently they end up going to Galilee, because that's where we find them in John 21. So, the disciples have been in Galilee for up to a month without seeing Jesus. You might be thinking, well, Harold, how do you know that? Because I just know. <laughs> I know things. I know things. Anyways, so, so Jesus, we know, was on earth 40 days after the resurrection. So from the resurrection to him ascending, 40 days. We also know that in John 20, 29, when he was talking to Thomas and the disciples, that was eight days after the resurrection. So 40 minus 8 is 32. Thank you very much, because some of you guys are going... Checking your toes. So, between John 20, 29 and Acts chapter 1, which is the next book after John, there's 32 days that the disciples could have been, I'm not saying they were always up there the whole time, but I'm assuming they left right away because that's what he told them to do originally. So they're sitting up there waiting for Jesus. Jesus said he was going to get there ahead of them. He, Jesus said he was going to meet them there and so they're waiting. Find out what's the next thing they're supposed to do. So what would you do if you're in their sandals? What, what do you do when you're waiting for Jesus to tell you what's the next thing you're supposed to do? You know, we all have things that we're waiting to hear from Jesus in a sense. That what am I supposed to do? It could be job and could be finances, it could be relationships, it could be a whole bunch of different things. I don't know what your specific thing is. It may be a huge thing, it may not be a very huge thing, but whatever the case, what do you do when you're waiting to hear from Jesus, in a sense of wanting to know what he wants you to do, or to get you through a situation, to take you through a health crisis, whatever. Now, I'll just be honest, when I go through those times, um, I fight against the old herald. So the old Harold, uh, he's very impatient. He's also very stubborn. Uh, he has a tendency to, to doubt. 
you know, I, I know the promises from God's Word, but then I have this time where I'm thinking about it, and then I start getting all kind of worked up and start wondering if God's really going to provide, and is he, are we going to get a music guy here at this church or not? And, you know, the, that position should have been filled the, the day after, and, but it hasn't been. It's been several months, and so now I'm kind of getting worked up and wondering. Or maybe, you know, what I do is I'm going to come up with some ideas to give to God about how we could, or, or I begin to start manipulating the situation so that I can help him get to the answer that he needs to have. Now, you know, after this morning, I don't think we need a music guy, but, you know, if the Lord wants to provide one for us, we've got quality volunteers who are up there serving. We thank the Lord for them. But what do you do? What's your response? The disciples... They, would, they did what Clark said all guys would probably end up doing, and they went fishing. This is what it says. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. And they said to him, we will also come with you. So they went out, got into the boat, and that night they caught nothing. Now, which is, it's normal for them to go out at night, you know, that's not weird, but why would they go fishing? You know, you know maybe they were bored, maybe they were hungry, uh, maybe they were questioning whether Jesus would even show up. They're kind of in a doubting situation. You know, we, we're not told why they went. So we go on. But when the day was now breaking, Jesus stood on the beach, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. So they're out in the water, and they're fishing, and it starts kind of, I don't know if you've ever been up early in the morning, and, you know, you're, you kind of see somebody out there, but you're not really sure. Like when you're hunting, you know, you kind of see a deer, but you're not, is that really, a, you know, I can't really tell. That's somebody, I'm, I don't want to shoot a person, you know, type of thing. But when the day was now breaking, Jesus stood on the beach. All right, you got that one, right? So Jesus said to them, I thought he, I thought he flipped it on me. Anyways, so Jesus said to them, children, and that word means infant, but it's, it's a term of endearment. So here's this guy on the beach yelling out to them, children, um, you, you do not have any fish, do you? Or you don't have any fish, do you? You know, we're not really sure if it's, you know, how he's saying it, but they answered him, no. And he said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find a catch. Now, have you ever been out fishing and some guy shows up, you don't know, and he starts telling you that you're fishing wrong or you're working on your house and somebody, your neighbor comes over, you know, you're handling that chainsaw wrong. Or you're not hammering things well, you know. So these guys, you know, who knows what they're thinking. This guy's yelling, I'm telling them, they've been fishing all night. These guys are professional fishermen. They used to live off of this job, and they've been throwing the net all night. Anyways, so they obeyed him. They, they did what he said, and they were not able to haul it in because of the great number of fish. Therefore, the, disciples whom Jesus, the disciple whom Jesus loved, again, talking about John, said to Peter, it is the Lord. He kind of figured it out. So when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put his outer garment on, for his strip for work, and threw, that word means he launched himself into the sea. So this time he tries to walk on water, falls flat on his face in the water. Okay, I got one laugh out of that one. But the, other, the, the 9 o'clock service, I had to explain it to him. And then they all kind of did this little, oh, <laughs> Anyways, but the other disciples came in the little boat, for they were not far from land, but about 100 yards away, dragging the net full of fish. 
So when they got got out on the land, they saw a charcoal fire already laid and fish placed on it and bread. Okay, so Jesus already had fish. He also somehow had bread. And if you're wondering about that, talk to Jason about it. I tried to do a joke at the 9 o'clock about bread and that went over. You know, it didn't rise to the occasion, but that's fine. Ooh. But here's the question. Why does John specifically mention charcoal fire? He's, all, he's mentioned it twice in John, a charcoal fire. You have to come back next week to figure that one out. All right, so Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish which you have caught. Simon Peter went up, drew the net to the land, full of large fish, 153. Again, interesting that he would give us a number of how many large fish. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, Come and have breakfast. None of the disciples ventured to question him, Who are you? Knowing that it was the Lord. Smart for them. Jesus came and took the bread, gave it to them, and the fish likewise. So once again, he serves them. And this is now the third time that Jesus was manifested to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. So twice in Jerusalem, once now at the Sea of Galilee. Now people debate as to whether, uh, of why it was the disciples uh, decided to go fishing. And a lot of them will see it as a negative thing. Um, they'll, they'll say, well, they're discouraged, they're bummed, Jesus hasn't shown up, they're thinking about going back into the fishing business, you know, all that kind of stuff. I, I, I don't take it that way, and you can take it however you want, but I don't see it that way, and here's why. Luke 24 and John 20, we talked about them last week, Jesus explains to them everything that he's been trying to explain to them for three years, and Luke 24 says he opened their minds for them to understand. John 20 says that he breathed on them, have the, received the Holy Spirit, which has this idea of Holy Spirit giving them understanding. So I, I don't think they're questioning here. I, I don't think we should get the idea that they're bummed. I mean, I'm sure they're kind of looking forward to whenever Jesus is going to come back, but it's not a bummed situation. It's not, ah, we're giving up on Jesus. Ah, we're going to start our own fishing business, all that kind of stuff. I think they were simply waiting for Jesus to tell them the next thing to do. And so while they were waiting for Jesus, they just did what they know to do. They were fishermen. And then once they, he showed up, and once he told them what to do, they would then obey him. And so this is going to be a huge lesson for them, especially when Jesus goes back, and they're going to be wondering, who's going to take care of us? Who's going to provide for us when we start the church? I think Jesus, once again, is reminding them, I'm going to. I'll be the one providing for you. So as we consider this week what, what the empty tomb means for us today, I, I see this biblical truth in this passage, and that's this. While you wait for an answer from Jesus, because he's alive, he's, he's, he's in the presence of God, but we have God the Holy Spirit. So while you wait for an answer from Jesus, do what you know to do, then do what Jesus says to do, even if it doesn't make sense, you know, throwing the net over onto the right side rather than the left side. And watch him provide more than you need. The disciples did what they knew. They just went fishing. They were up there for potentially a month. Even if it was a week, or two weeks, or three weeks. They still need to eat. (laughs) They're from that area. Their dads were fishermen. 
So they were helping out the family. They were providing for the family, providing for themselves. They're just doing what they know to do until Jesus would show up. So as we're waiting, and again, I don't know what your situation is, and maybe you don't even have a current situation, so write these down for the future situation. What should we be doing? Or what do we know to do? Maybe it's a better way to question, or better question to ask. What do we know to do while we wait? Now, if you've been here for any length of time, you're not going to hear anything new this morning. I'm just reminding you of things we've already talked about. Just like Jesus reminded his disciples of everything he talked to them about for three years. And my prayer is that we, together, all of us, that God would open our minds, open our hearts, help us to understand if we're struggling with this, to do these things, that we would trust him and we would do the things that we know to do. And so the first one is this. Here's what we know to do. We need to commit to time with God in his word and prayer. That's not new to anybody if you've been here for any length of time. But that's what we need to do. For waiting on Jesus to give us an answer, to help us through a situation, we need to spend time with him and his word in prayer. Jesus, in, in Matthew 4, while being tempted by Satan, says this, but he answered and said, it is written, man, that means you and me, shall not live on bread alone, but shall live on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. What Jesus is saying is, we need to live on God's word. We need to make God's word so normal in our lives. We need to make God's word as if we're eating real food. None of us miss a meal unless we choose to miss that meal. We make sure we have multiple meals and snacks in between. It's a sad thing about snacks. I can't eat them as much as I used to and I'm wasting away to nothing. <laughs> it's really sad anyways. Kim's like, can I bake you anything? I'm just like, yeah, but I can't eat any of it. So, you know, anyways. No, seriously, we... We'll make sure we eat. We'll go, if there's nothing in the house, even if there is something, we'll go to a restaurant and, and we'll get ourselves some. We'll drive through. We'll get ourselves something to eat multiple times a day. But when it comes to knowing what God wants us to know or, or feeding ourselves spiritually, what's the first thing we toss? Reading the Bible. Too busy. I got food to eat. I got work to go to, so I can get food to eat. We need to feed on God's word. It needs to be a regular part, a daily part of our regimen, of what we do. It's what we know to do. And, and really, when you think about it, if, if we're waiting for Jesus to give us an answer for what it is that we want him to give us an answer for, or to give us strength to go through whatever we're going through, or whatever the situation is, wouldn't we go to him? I'm just asking. And again, I, I'm not beating up anybody. I'm, I'm talking to myself here. Here's some descriptions of what of the Bible. This is ten. There's a bunch more. I just found ten real quick ones on Google. You know, first of all, it's inspired by God. It comes from God. It's from God to us. 
It's God-breathed. It's, it's a lamp and a light. You want to know how to get to where you need to go? His word is a lamp and a light to our feet. Not, not a million lumen light shining down into the neighborhood over here. Right here. Why? Because he wants us to do this. Steps of faith. He's got that taken care of. We need to be looking at our feet. It's flawless. There's no mistakes in it. It's right and true. It's pure milk. It goes good with chocolate chip cookies. The place for wisdom and knowledge. You want wisdom? You want knowledge? You want to know how to operate in this world? The Bible. It accomplishes what God desires. So you're in it. God's going to do what he needs to do in you to get you ready to do whatever it is he wants you to do. It's the source for answered prayers. Jesus says, if you obey me, ask whatever you want and I'll give it to you. Now, again, condition, obey. How do we know what to do? From his word. It's a source of strength against sin. It refreshes the soul. How many of you guys, women, men, you here in your room, how many of you are just wore out? Just at your soul, you're just tired. The world has got you so tired. Well, God's telling us if we get into his word, it's going to refresh down to our soul. I don't know about you, that's something that I would crave for. So we, we search the Bible for wisdom to, to know what his will is. And we want to know how to respond. So we search his word. We spend time with him as he teaches us and talks to us and gives us understanding. Just real quick, um, we've been putting these little first step packets of a person comes to faith in Christ. And one of the things we've heard back from people is, who have accepted Christ. Man, I have a hard time reading the Bible. I don't quite understand how to read the Bible. So we've got these two little books. I think they're like two bucks a piece. Um, I don't know. We just, Mary Munz found them, actually. Um, and so, you know, get these two little books. One is how to study the Bible, and one is know your Bible. It's just real simple. You know, who wants one? All right, Jessica's hand was first. Seen better hands on a clock. All right, who wants to know your Bible? Oh, you can share, you two. Okay, Jane, you ready? Yeah, see, that's what I'm talking about. Okay, anyways. <laughs> Kevin got in the way. Anyways, so we, we hear from God as we spend time in His Word. Now we have the opportunity, actually the command to have a conversation back. Look what Hebrews 4 tells us. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. It means to, to be totally committed. We, we say we, our confession is that we trust Christ. We believe. We put our full weight of trust in Christ. That's what we say. So now hold on to that, right? For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. So Jesus knows all that you're going through. He knows all the challenges that you have. He knows he's been through it. He's had those things because he was 100% human. The only difference is that he was also God. So he knows how to meet those without sinning. I mean, he was tempted by Satan himself. And he responded in a way 
for us to understand how we're supposed to respond to temptation, which is using God's word. So therefore, because Jesus knows our temptations, but also knows how to be obedient in them, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace. We'll get what we don't deserve. So we may receive mercy and find grace to help in a time of need. And so we hold fast our... What do we do when we're waiting? We hold fast our confession. How do we do that? By going to the throne of grace. It's a command. God wants us to come before Jesus Christ. He gets it. He understands. He knows. And He wants us to come there to find mercy and grace in a time of need. Here's a question. When are we not in need? Because if you're sitting here thinking, well, yeah, most of the time, you know, I got a kind of, you know, I got a good job and money's coming in, I got some, you know, it's high, you know, a nice house and blah, blah. Listen, we're always in need. Because if God wanted to, He could take our breath. Yeah, we have our jobs, but He could take our jobs. We have our nice house. He could take our house. They say we, we get this thinking that we're we're not well, some we're only in need when we're waiting for him to give us an answer for something we have to do. No, we're always in need. Jesus says, Apart apart from me, you can do nothing. Yeah, spiritually you can do nothing, but physically you can, because he could take our breath. So we're always in need. We need to be going before him. Get in his word, stay in his word, and get in before him in prayer. So sometimes we're preoccupied with this waiting and, and a lot of times what that causes us to be real self-focused. And so there's some other things that we need to do and I don't want to uh, beat these things too hard. I'm just going to kind of rip through these as fast as I can. But the next one is we need to meet, you need to meet your responsibilities. And what I'm talking about there is in your families and in your, in your workplace. So again, sometimes we get uh, self-focus. We're so focused on God. Give me an answer. God, give me an answer. I, uh, we become so self-focused that we begin to respond to our spouses wrong. We, get, we respond to our kids wrong. We respond to our parents wrong. We respond to our boss wrong. We co-workers wrong because we're here. It's all here. But no, we know what we need to do. We need to respond in a Christ-like way. So husbands in our homes, husbands, love your wives sacrifice for your wife. What does that look like? Well, number one, spend time with your wife in God's Word in prayer. Just do that. Well, that's, that feels kind of weird and strange. I don't care. More than that, God doesn't care. Because He knows that's the best thing for you. For you as a husband and for your wife. We're commanded to pour into our wives spiritually. To nurture them like Christ nurtures the church. Wives, respect your husbands. That means talk them up. Encourage them. Thank them. Tell the kids how great their dad is. Don't talk about how bad he is around other people, including your church family. Respect. Well, that just seems... I, listen, even if it seems strange, do what God calls you to do. Let God do the rest of the work. Children, obey your parents. I know they're stupid. They don't know anything. I mean, look at them. 
I mean, they got a house, they got cars, they got jobs. They... When I was a kid, my parents were stupid. When I got older, I was stupid. You know, I mean, but do what God tells you to do, what you know to do, and that is obey your parents. Parents, teach, discipline, be the example for your kids on what it means to obey. Let them see two adults pursuing Christ. Make it an important part of your life together as a, as a family, at work. Employees, work hard. Work sacrificially. <laughs> really? Yeah. Why? Because you're working for Jesus. You're not working for your boss. You're working for Jesus. That's what Jesus says. I'm not going through these verses. You can look them up yourself. They're up on the screen. And Jesus will reward you. Jesus will provide for you. Even if you lose a job. He's got another job there for you. Bosses, treat your employees fairly. Be generous with them. Kind. Why? Because that's how Jesus Christ treats you. Jason's not in here, so he doesn't need to know. He doesn't need to know this. Don't tell Jason. He's serving in children's right now. So. so not only do we have responsibilities at home and work, but we have responsibilities in our spiritual family, our church, Grace Point, if you call this church your church. Now, this is, this, sadly, way too often we move away from this. Way too often we say, well, you know, I'm going through a difficult time and so I, people don't want me to be around. Or people will say, well, I, I don't want people to be, you know, spending time on me. They got plenty of other things to do. And so I just want to be blunt with you. Isolation. Isolation is a lie from the pit of hell. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you isolating yourself. Now, you guys are here today. That's awesome. But remember this when you're tempted, that isolation is a lie from the pit of hell. Satan wants you to isolate yourself, is another way of putting it. Now, how do I know that? Well, I'm just going to look at two passages. The first one comes out of 1 Corinthians 12. Again, this is God-inspired words. Paul is teaching, telling Corinth and telling us. If one member or believer suffers, all members, the church family, we should all be suffering with that person. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now you, believers in Jesus Christ, are Christ's body and individual, individually members of it. Yeah, we're members of his body worldwide, but he's talking about a local body of believers. In this case, Grace Point, there's other bodies of believers. But this, this here at Grace Point, we're talking to Grace Point, we are the body of Christ. We need to be together. We need to be encouraging each other. Look what Paul tells the church at Galatia. Believers, bear. This is a command from God. This is not a suggestion. This is not God going, hey, if you have some time. You know, this is no. This is a command. Bear one another's burdens. That word there means things that are over and above the normal stresses of life. We have a load. He talks about that later on in this passage. We have a load. We all have stress. We all have life. You know, I, I tell my kids all the time, welcome to adulthood. You know, we all have it and we're supposed to deal with it the way God wants us to. But then there's also that over and above. And so, 
We need to bear each other's burdens, thereby fulfill the law of Christ. Again, the law of Christ is love. Love is sacrificial. Sacrificial is painful. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is not, he deceives himself. What he's saying here is this. If you think, well, I don't need to help another brother or sister in Christ, you're lying to yourself. You're wrong. Or if you're saying, I don't need other Christians to help me through my problem, you're lying to yourself. You're wrong. He's given us the body. He's adopted us into his family. His Holy Spirit dwells in us. You and I are part of God's family for a follower of Jesus Christ. To not regularly connect with your brothers and sisters in Christ and worship God our Father together is disrespectful and dishonoring to God. And you are deceiving yourself. You are lying to yourself. You can't call Grace Point your church and not be with your church. Now, I know that sounds harsh, and I'm sorry if it does sound harsh, but it's more important for you to hear the truth and respond to what God is calling us to do as followers of Jesus Christ. Because in obedience, the feelings will come. What you need most is your spiritual family to be there with you, to be there to encourage you. Part of God's way of meeting your needs is through your church family. Sometimes your physical needs. Sometimes, hey, somebody knows somebody who's got a job and you need a job and we get you connected. But always it's the spiritual need, spiritual comfort. And going along with connecting, we need to be serving. These are things we know that we need to be doing. 1 Peter 4.10 is a command. We're not going to look at it, but it's a command to serve your church family. Not a suggestion, a command. But look what Solomon says in, in Proverbs. Even when we're you know, just full of stuff that we are concerned about, look what he says. The generous man or person will be prosperous, and he who waters gives to others what they need will himself be watered. There's this, there's this spiritual um, uh, law I guess you could call it, that, that if in the middle of our own difficulties, if we can pour out to others and pour into others, there's a refreshing in our soul. Why? Because that's how God's designed it. You may not agree with it. You may not believe it. You may think it's weird like throwing a net over on the other side of the, the boat. But it's what God's saying. And the last thing for this point, i got two more that are going to be quick. Don't worry about it. Is that we need to commit to share our relationship with Christ with other people. Look what Paul says in 1 Thessalonians. It says, Having so fond an affection for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives, because you had become very dear to us. Listen, when we're, when we're able to sit down with people who don't know Christ... And we can share with them the frustrations and the concerns that we have, just like they have, but then we tell them there's a different way that we deal with it. That's going to cause them to go, oh, I never thought about that. And again, it's not mean we're going to always walk on, hey, life is great. I'm just, I'm just so happy all the time. You know, that, they're going to go, you're, you're not even real. But if we come to them and say, yeah, I'm struggling with the same thing. I've got marriage things going on. I've got work stuff going on. I've got concerns. But hey, let me just tell you, this is how I'm doing it. And spending time with God and His Word. And I'm praying. And I'm getting together with my church family and, and serving my church family. Listen, if you do that, I'll guarantee you, not every one of them will come to Christ. How's that for encouragement? 
They won't, because Scripture tells us they won't. I will guarantee you this, that a vast majority of them will respect you because you're doing something. And you know what? The most important thing is there'll be some who you'll get to lead to Christ. You know, I just keep thinking of Jaden. Break time. The guy shares Christ at break time. Jaden accepts Christ. I mean, it's awesome. All right, moving on real quick. So while, while we wait for Jesus, you know, we're waiting for this answer from him, and we're in his word, we're doing the things that we know to do, then when he gives us what we're supposed to do, then we do it. We obey, even if it doesn't make sense. The disciples threw the net over the other side of their boat. The things I've just listed, I know Christians are going, really, that's going to work? I know because people, Christians, tell me that, they show me that, I hear about it. We tell ourselves lies all the time. We rationalize our thoughts all the time. We don't trust Christ when he says, do what I'm telling you to do. And just in those five things, whatever it is, it doesn't make human sense. Well, we're not operating out of human sense. We're operating out of spiritual sense. We're operating out of a God who has promised to provide for us. We'll just be obedient. And so here's the last point of this. Obeying Doing what Jesus tells us to do, obeying shows the reality of our stated faith. You can't say I trust in Christ and not trust Christ. You can't say I trust in Christ and not obey him. Even if it sounds crazy. Last is this. When we do, the promise is that Jesus will provide. He will provide more than we even need. I mean, as we see throughout Scripture, and certainly see here. I'm going to read a passage, a few verses here that you're very familiar with if you've been a part of our church, but it's good to have. It's good to remember, memorize, hang on to. Jesus is speaking here. says, Do not worry then, saying, What we will eat, or what will we drink, or what will we wear for clothing. In other words, the, the basic needs of our life. Don't, don't go... Don't be so worried about it. For Gentiles, non-believers, eagerly seek all these things. They, they run all over the place. Right? I mean, you work with them. They're all worked up. Worked up about their money, worked up about their job, worked up about their health, worked up about their relationships. They're mad at the bosses. They're mad at the employees. They're all over the place, freaking out. Did you, you hear Dave Ramsey had a conversation with a lady? They're in their upper 20s, her and her husband. Or she's in her upper 20s, he's in his early 30s. They're a million dollars in debt. Yikes! I mean, people who don't know Christ, and sadly, some of us who do have gotten ourselves in financial issues in the past. I can speak to that. Thank the Lord for his goodness. They chase it. Jesus is saying, for your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. So what do we do? We don't run around frantically, all worried and wringing our hands, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. Do what you know to do, then obey what Jesus tells you to do, and all these things, all your needs will be added to you. The question is, do we believe it? The question is, will we hold fast our confession? Will we live out what we say we believe? So as we do our takeaways, I'm not going to have a band come up. I've gone a little long. so. But as our takeaways, first of all, know that God already knows what your needs are. He already knows it. He knows what he wants to do in and through you. He knows what you need for him to do those things in and through you. And so you just got to know, okay, God's got this figured out. 
Secondly, you just need to commit to do what you know to do. Those five or six things at the beginning, just focus in on those. Focus in on those because you're going to get God's wisdom out of those things. You're going to get God's strength out of those things. You're going to get God's um, refreshing of your soul. God's going to use your church family to encourage you and to help you and to maybe even through them provide for your needs. You just need to obey what Jesus says to do. So when it comes time to take that step of faith, you take that step of faith. And then you trust and know that he's going to provide what you need. And again, Scripture always shows us it's going to be something over and above. Because that way we can bless others, just like the disciples had 153 fish. You think they're going to eat them all? No, they're going to bless others with that. He wants to bless others through us. Let's go ahead and stand for closing prayer. Heavenly Father,